Matthew 5. As you turn there, I'll remind you that we are in the process of working our way through a sermon that Jesus preached on one day, and we're preaching it over many days. The sermon that's known as the Sermon on the Mount. And before we return to that sermon this morning, I want to go back for a minute and think about the situation that Jesus was in when he gave the sermon, particularly the religious environment that he was in as he gave this sermon. Remember, Jesus, born as a Jew, part of the, the nation of Israel, born in the line and the tradition of Abraham and Moses and David. This is the nation that God had called, who had set apart for himself. It's a nation that God has spoken to. He'd given them the law. He'd given them promises, promises they held dear. With that in mind, here, here, I want you to do something. Take your Bible if you're using your phone, it's going to be hard, so maybe you'll grab a Bible around you. You're in Matthew 5. Just flip back a few pages, and there's probably a blank page there in your Bible. It might say New Testament on it, right? That blank page right there between Matthew and Malachi. I want you to take that and just hold that bigger section in your hand. Hold the Old Testament there between your fingers. Just keep it there for a second. And I want you to think about this. This always blows my mind. Maybe, maybe this is just normal stuff. You've always known this. You've never taken it for granted, and so this doesn't mean as much to you. But for me, it, it just, it's wild for me to think about the fact that this was Jesus' Bible, right? Now, he probably didn't get to hold it like we're holding it, but, but he read the same things we read, or he heard read the same thing we have. Think about that. Jesus, our Lord, had this much of our Bible that he knew. And the Jewish people, these were Bible people. They knew the Bible. They, they loved the scriptures. They knew the law of God, and they held it up as their standard. And this was the environment that Jesus comes into. He's coming into an environment of people who know the scriptures. And he begins proclaiming this message of the kingdom of God, saying things like, repent, repent. And believe the gospel. Remember, these are people who are used to measuring themselves according to the law. Right? And then Jesus says things like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For they will inherit the kingdom of heaven. And in different ways, it seems that maybe, perhaps, what Jesus is saying is contrary to this. That's what the Pharisees and the scribes wondered. He's calling them to something new. He's calling them to something different. And people start asking questions. Remember, their life is built on the law, right? The, the ceremonies and the sacrifices. They were waiting for a king who would continue the tradition of the Old Testament. But Jesus comes along. He starts saying things that seem, they seem different. So there's questions. Who is this guy? Here's a question. Do you think he believes the Old Testament? Are the things that he's saying, is this gospel he's preaching, is it consistent? Or is it different? He's preaching a salvation, but what about the law? He's offering a kingdom, but what about the sacrifices? 
is the kingdom that he's announcing the same kingdom that the scriptures announce, or is he talking about something completely different? Good questions? They have to be, right? If someone shows up on the scene and you have your Bible and you wonder, is he saying the same thing or is he saying something different? These are questions that we ask today. I wonder if you've ever wrestled with this. What's the relationship between Jesus and what Jesus says in the red and what we read in the Old Testament? How do we bring those two things together? Can we? What's the relationship between the law of Moses and the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do, do, do we, is there any part of that for us? Or is there a hard break? Is there any connection or are things completely different? I wonder if you've ever thought through that. What the connection is between this part and this part. Do we need this part or do we only need this part? That's part of the question we're going to answer this morning and it was a question that Jesus was having to deal with because people wondered, does Jesus believe the scriptures? If Jesus came to give us something new, do we have any use for the old? It's important. That's, that's a big chunk, isn't it? Do we need this? Does Jesus intend for us to use it? And at what level? How much of it applies to us? Should we be living by the law of Moses? Should we obey the Ten Commandments? And if we say yes, then why not the sacrifices and the ceremonies and all the rest? Big questions, and frankly, they're questions that we must answer if we're going to understand the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Because in this sermon, Jesus gives a lot of law and references to the law. And so we have to make this distinction. Is he offering a gospel of grace or a gospel of law? Which wouldn't be a gospel at all for us. Thankfully, Jesus doesn't leave us wondering. In Matthew 5, verses 17 through 20, he answers two big questions. So here's the two questions of verses 17 to 20. First, what's the relationship between Jesus and the message of the Old Testament? Is there a connection or has he moved on from the Old Testament? The second is, what's the relationship between the Christian and the Old Testament law? Another question that we have to reckon with. Are we under the law or are we under grace? If we're under grace, do we just do away with the law? What do we do with that? What do we do with this, right? This big chunk of Bible. That's the questions that we're going to answer. So Matthew chapter 5, you can flip back over a few pages there to Matthew 5, and we're going to start reading in verse 17. Jesus says this, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does not, do, excuse me, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. 
grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Now, before we go further, let me just remind you, and I'm going to have to do this every week, and so here we go. We have to remember where we are in this sermon, okay? So he starts off in that first section, 1 to 12, with the Beatitudes, and it's this description of what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. We've talked about how these aren't things that are separated. This is a description of one kind of person. And it's a life of blessing. Eight times we're told, blessed are those who live in the kingdom of God. It's a life of great reward. But it is a life marked by certain characteristics. So the people of God are poor in spirit before God. The people of God are people who mourn over their sin. They're meek. They love righteousness. They're merciful and pure, peaceful, and will be opposed This is how Jesus describes the people who are part of the kingdom of God. And he makes this clear. If we live this way, if you live as a person of the kingdom of God, you will stand out. That's where we were last week. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. As we live as the people of God's kingdom, we will be seen. We will be noticed. What's clear is Jesus is calling out a people. He's calling us to something different. Now let's come back to our question. Is Jesus calling them to something that's different than the Old Testament? What's the relationship between this message of Jesus, this message of the kingdom, and the message of the scriptures that Jesus was raised knowing and memorizing and By extension, what's the relationship between the person who's a part of the kingdom of God and the Old Testament law? Now, until yesterday, about 3 o'clock, I thought we would answer both of these questions today. It wouldn't be kind to you. Um, There's just too much here. So the sermon will end end with a black screen that says, you know, to be continued. This morning, we're going to go through the first two verses and answer the question, what's the relationship between Jesus and the Old Testament? And then next week, Lord willing, we're going to answer the question, what's the relationship between the Christian and the law of the Old Testament? Okay? So there's your teaser. What's the relationship between Jesus and the Old Testament? Verse 17. This is what Jesus says. Do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, what I, what I like about this is the, the subtle indication that Jesus knows the objections, right? I know what you're thinking. Don't think that. You're thinking that this is completely different, or that I've come to do away with that big chunk of the Bible, which is all that I knew at that point. You think I'm dismissing the scriptures. Don't think, he says, I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. Now that phrase, law and the prophets, you should know this is a shorthand way of describing the whole of the scriptures, our Old Testament. The law, those first five books, Genesis through Deuteronomy, often referred to as the the, the Torah. This is the law of God. It's in those books that we get the law of Moses. God tells his people how they are to function as a nation. It has rules for worship, the sacrifices and the ceremonies. 
That's the law, Genesis through Deuteronomy. And then there's the rest of the Old Testament that they refer to as the prophets. And in the prophets, God's communicating with his people. He's applying the law to their lives. He's making promises. He's announcing what's ahead. And again, let's remember, do you love your Bible? I hope you love your Bible. Jesus is speaking to people who love their Bibles. They love the Scriptures. And they're asking, is Jesus trying to move beyond the Scriptures? And he makes this clear. His ministry, his message, it's not a departure from the Old Testament. He's not an abolitionist who's come to move people away from the Old Testament Scriptures. He says, I did not come to abolish the Old Testament. Then he says this, I came to fulfill it. Now, what you want to consider is that that second part is more radical than what they may have thought he was doing. See, if Jesus shows up and he completely disregards the scriptures, he's not a threat to the Jews, right? He's not a threat. People know the scriptures. They love the scriptures. If Jesus throws away the Bible, no one's going to listen to him. Few will listen. He's not a threat. What Jesus says is more radical than forget your Old Testament. It's way more radical than that. He doesn't say do away with it. He says, I'm here to fulfill it. That is a massive claim, isn't it? Sometimes people try to suggest that Jesus never made outrage. He never claimed to be God. He's just a, he's a teacher. There's no room for that even here. Jesus shows up and says, the scriptures, the word of God, what you believe is the very word of God, it's about me. How audacious, right? If not true, crucify him. Jesus says the aim or the goal or the purpose of the Old Testament is to announce me. I'm the one who fulfills or satisfies the Old Testament, everything it requires and everything it reveals. He's claiming the scriptures are about him. What would you think about me if I stood up and said, yeah, the Bible, it's about me? No. And just in case you think maybe this was a, this is a one-time thing, no, Jesus says this over and over and over. Let me just give you some examples. John chapter 5, the religious leaders are accusing Jesus of violating the law of God. A regular conversation they're having. Jesus speaking to the Pharisees says this in John 5 verse 39. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is they, the scriptures, that bear witness about me yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Big claims, yes? Later in that same conversation, Jesus doubles down. Verse 45. Do not think I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. Remember, Moses is the, the writer of the law. He says, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. 
I told you he's doubling down. He's saying, you don't even understand your Bibles. If you understood Moses, if you really believe Moses, you believe me because Moses wrote about me. Huge claims. And it's something that Jesus says over and over. Luke 24, we were here on Easter. Remember Jesus, the day of his resurrection, there's two men walking on a road on the way to a city called Emmaus. Jesus appears to them. He starts walking with them, and they're talking because they've just seen the crucifixion. They've heard gossip that Jesus is alive. So they're walking, and they're talking about these things. Jesus shows up. This is what Jesus says to them. O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. He doesn't say, why don't you believe Mary? Why don't you believe the ladies who went to the tomb? That's not what he says. He says, you're slow to believe the prophets. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then, beginning with Moses, the law, and all the prophets, he interpreted them, the scriptures, concerning himself. I said this at Easter. That's a Bible study I want to be a part of, right? Where Jesus takes the Old Testament and says, me, me, me. Look over here. That's me. Later that evening, just I want you to see this is a consistent thing. Jesus is not backing down. He's all in. He's with his disciples the night of his resurrection. This is a big night. Important things are being said. Jesus makes this point. 24, Luke 24, 44, he says to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, and they're thinking, law of Moses? Where are you in the law of Moses? Everything written about me in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. What does he want them to understand? What's he opening their mind to see? It's about him. The scriptures are about him and are fulfilled in him. He wasn't trying to distance himself from the Old Testament. He was grabbing it and saying, look at it more closely. Do not think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Which opens this whole question. What does that mean? In what sense does Jesus fulfill the scriptures? And it's a bigger conversation than we could have in part of a sermon. Let me just give you three partial answers to how Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. The easiest place to start is with the prophecies and promises. Remember, the Old Testament is full of these announcements of things that will happen. And what we know, what we can see from our vantage point is that all through the Old Testament, there are things that were said that we now see clearly were about Christ. We can go all the way back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, after the fall, Jesus is pronouncing the curse. He pronounces a curse on the serpent and says, there is one coming who will crush your head. Guess who? It's about Jesus. It's an announcement, probably the first prophecy of, of Christ, Genesis 3. A little further in the story, the story of Abraham and his sacrifice of Isaac, a foreshadowing of the work that God would do as he provides a sacrifice for his son. 
We think about the Exodus and that Passover lamb. Blood on the door. And all who have the blood are passed over and spared from judgment of God. Who's that about? That's about Jesus. Jesus is the son and the king who was promised to David. The one whom God said would sit on an eternal throne. You think about the Psalms. So many of the Psalms point to a king. They point to a city. They point to a kingdom. They point to Jesus. Jeremiah tells us of a new covenant. Guess who comes and inaugurates that covenant? Guess who seals that covenant with his blood? The Christ. Psalm 22 speaks of one who suffers, whose body is broken, whose head has thorns pushed into it. David wrote it, but he spoke of Jesus. We know that because Jesus quoted it on the cross. The suffering servant of Isaiah 53, Jesus. The one born of a virgin foretold in Isaiah 7, Jesus. Matthew chapter 1, after the birth of Christ, says all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. It happened to fulfill the scriptures. Matthew 2, verse 23. He went and lived in a city called Nazareth so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. We could go through the whole life of Jesus and point to way after way after way that Jesus fulfills the scriptures. When Isaiah said, unto us a child is born, they didn't know it. He's pointing to Jesus. The Old Testament announces a king, a redeemer, a deliverer, a comforter. He's all those things and more. And this is what Jesus is revealing. It's an unbelievable claim. Jesus says, I am the fulfillment. From Genesis to Malachi, it's about me. All the promises God made. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 1. It's a great verse. All the promises of God find their yes in him. God made a promise. Jesus is the means through which that promise is kept. Will God keep his promises? The yes is in Jesus. That is why through him we can utter amen to God for his glory. Chapter by chapter, book by book, through the entire Old Testament, we see it was all moving us towards him. He's the fulfillment of the prophecies and the promises. That's just a sliver. That's the easy place to start how Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. It's more than that. Here's another sliver of understanding the fulfillment of the Scriptures. Jesus fulfills the Scriptures in part by living the law perfectly. He says that he came to fulfill all righteousness. In every detail, in every respect, Jesus lived according to the law. Now the Pharisees accused him otherwise. But there was never a charge that could stand. There was never any part of the law that he failed to uphold. Now, maybe their misinterpretation of the law. Maybe. But not the law of God. Hebrews 4 tells us he was tempted in every way just as you are, yet without sin. He fulfilled the law in that he kept it perfectly. But that's not even the big thing. 
The big thing is that because he fulfilled the law that way, because he lived perfectly, he was able to accomplish the demands of the law. What are the demands of the law? The law demands that anyone who breaks the law must be punished. Jesus comes, he lives it perfectly, and in that sense fulfills it, so that he could fulfill the demands of the law and take your sacrifice. Remember, according to the law of God, there were offerings that had to be made. Daily, weekly, yearly sacrifices that had to be kept. There was the temple and the customs related to worship. There were priests and the requirements and rituals they carried out. All these things were what was necessary for people to maintain their standing before God. Guess what? You never got done. There was always the next offering. Always the next sacrifice. Then Jesus came. If you want, here's your homework. If you want to understand how the Old Testament relates to Jesus, the best book I can recommend to you is the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is the book that connects Christ to the Old Testament and shows us why he is the fulfillment. Let me just read a couple of portions for you. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. It says, since the law, the Old Testament law, was a, a shadow of good things to come, instead of the true form of its realities, now that would have been blasphemy to a Pharisee, right? That the law was a shadow. It says, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Verse 11, every priest stands daily at his service, offering the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Chapter 7, verse 17. It is witnessed of Christ. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of the weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. Now, Paul, read Galatians. After you read Hebrews, go read Galatians. He says, that doesn't make the law useless, right? There was a purpose for the law. We'll get into some of that next week. On the other hand, a better hope is introduced. What's his name? Yeah. A better hope, whose name is Jesus, through which we draw near to God. This is a lot. It's a crash course. So important. When Jesus came, he began his ministry. People were asking questions. What's he doing? Is he trying to replace the Old Testament? Is he trying to do away with it? Is he trying to abolish it? The answer is no. He's not moving away. He's moving in. I did not come to abolish it, verse 17. I came to fulfill. For generations, the people of God lived by the law of God. There were food laws, laws regulating what was clean and unclean. And it all had a purpose. It was given by God on purpose for a purpose. But the scriptures also say this, the blood of bulls and goats would never take away sins. Jesus came as the all-sufficient one. This is the gospel we believe, isn't it? 
that none of us could ever do enough good to earn standing before God. And that, not to oversimplify too much, but that's the point. The law showed us our need. The law showed us our inadequacy. The law showed us that we needed something better. And Christ came and he fulfills it. Paul says it this way in Colossians. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. Speaking to Jews who were having a hard time because they were raised a certain way. And now they were starting to not live that way. And their friends were saying things. It's a hard situation to be in. Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. If you get this, you'll read the Old Testament different and things will start popping in the New Testament. What Jesus says here turns everything the people thought they knew about the scriptures on its head. And it should change the way we read our Bibles. If you are just finishing Judges and you're thinking, what? We're going to read 1 Samuel. Man, just put on these glasses and recognize it's pointing to Christ. Now going back to where we started, the question is, what's the relationship between Jesus and the Old Testament? He answers that question by saying, I didn't come to abolish it, I came to fulfill it. And then he gives us another affirmation of the ongoing relevance of the Old Testament. Because perhaps the next question would be, well, if he fulfilled it, then it's done. Can we cut it out now? Because that, that thin line New Testament is a lot easier to carry. What does Jesus say about the ongoing relevance of the Old Testament? Verse 18. Truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. The question being asked, is Jesus trying to do away with the Old Testament? Is his teaching and ministry an attempt to abolish the Old Testament? And here we get a plain answer. Jesus is affirming the ongoing centrality and the importance of the Old Testament scriptures. It remains the word of God. The promises of God remain. The law of God remains. What, the law remains? That's next week. You got to come back. Jesus makes it clear. He says, truly. Could be translated, I tell you the truth. I assure you of this. Make no mistake. Until heaven and earth pass away. Speaking of the world as we know it, as it is now. Until the end of the age. Until the world as we know it is no more. Until the end of time when God returns. The word of God will never cease to be the word of God. And none of it should be neglected. He speaks of an iota, which was a Greek letter. When they translated it, they said iota, because that's the smallest letter in the Greek. If you read the same thing in Hebrew, it would be the yod. Small, small letter. Or a dot. Think of the, the dot above an I or the crossing of a T in our language. Just these little indicators. Not a speck, he says, of the law should be disregarded. None of it will pass away until all is accomplished. He's leaving no room for exception. But what about Leviticus? Right? No. Every letter, every dot. He's saying the word of God is the word of God is the word of God, and it will remain. 
Now, throughout the rest of his ministry, people are going to keep accusing him of disregarding the law of God. What we see here is Jesus had a very, very high view of Scripture. He's leaving no questions about his stance on the Old Testament. Did Jesus come to abolish the Scriptures? No. Did he come to fulfill the Scriptures? Yes. Does his fulfillment of the Scriptures mean they should be discarded? No. They still serve a purpose. It's still God's word for God's people. Some has been fulfilled. Some is being fulfilled. Some is still future fulfillment. But none of it will pass away until all of it has been accomplished. It's a long ways to tell you to read the Old Testament, isn't it? Now, there's a reason that Jesus puts this here. This isn't a passing thought. It sets the stage for the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. If you just look down, starting in verse 18, he says things like, you've heard it said, but I say this, and Jesus is interacting with the law of God. And so we have to answer this question about the relationship between Jesus in the Old Testament and Jesus in the law. These are big, big questions. We'll get to the second part next week, but let me leave you with this for this morning. Maybe you knew this, but I think this is a good reminder for all of us. The Bible from beginning to end is about Jesus. He didn't come to start something new. There wasn't the Jewish religion and there was the Jesus religion. This was the plan of God. It's seamless. His plan was always to send his son to save his people from their sins. From the very beginning, he made promises to Abraham that were about Jesus. He gave a law to Moses that foreshadowed Christ. He set up a system of sacrifices and ceremonies that pointed to Jesus. The prophets speak of him. The promises point to him. To quote Sally Lloyd-Jones in her introduction to the Jesus Storybook Bible, she says, the whole story whispers his name. It's well said. Has implications for us. First, Remember that Jesus is central. But we can't go, you know, there's been a movement. It's not as common now, but I remember back in the 80s and 90s, this red letter movement, right? Jesus said it. I'm just going to follow the words of Jesus. You know what Jesus says? Read your Bible, right? There's more. And the fact that Jesus is central this is the heart of the gospel. Because if we only read the Old Testament, if we only had the law, we recognize we have no hope. If Jesus doesn't fulfill the scriptures, church, we're under the wrath of God. But because he does, we have hope. Matthew 5, 17, this is huge. When we hear Jesus say he's the fulfillment, we should say, praise God, we have a fulfillment. Because I couldn't keep the law. I needed someone who could, and he did. And not only did he do it, but he died to fulfill the sacrifices and the ceremonies in my requirement and yours. Oh, church, this is a verse that should elicit praise. Christ has fulfilled the law. You don't have to pay the penalty for your sins. Christ did it. 
Here's another implication. I won't yell it. I'll just tell you. You should read your Old Testament. The Old Testament is about Jesus, and if we neglect it, then we're missing a huge part of what, Christ, of God, what God wants us to know about Jesus. So much of what God wants us to know about his son is left of the New Testament. So don't neglect it. Now you're going to jump in excited this afternoon. You're just going to start reading in Genesis, and then you're going to realize a little ways in it's harder than it sounds. But stick with it. I told you there are two questions. What's the relationship between God, Christ and the Old Testament, and what's the relationship between the Christian and the law? We'll get to that second one next week. Until then, remember this. God is faithful. God keeps his promises. Jesus is proof. Remember this. God is working even when we can't see it. That's a theme of the Old Testament, isn't it? God was moving, advancing. The lineage of Christ, God was working even when they couldn't see it. God is faithful. God keeps his promises. He sent his son through whom we can be saved. You are not under the law. Or are you? That's next week. Let's pray. God, you are so kind. God, I thank you that from the beginning of time, you had a plan to save a people for yourself. A people for your own possession. We thank you for Christ and that he came to do what we could not do for ourselves. We thank you for your word that you have preserved and given to us so that we can know you and know him. God, I even pray that just this, this time talking about this would, would um, increase our appetite for your word. And not just so we can grow in knowledge or be able to impress our friends by finding you in obscure places, but so that we can grow in gratitude and praise and good works so that others may see our lives and give glory to our Father who's in heaven. Thank you for Jesus and the hope we have in him. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand? Let's sing.